in that split second, life changed. You know, I go from I go from the, the the boat to the rescue boat to the ambulance to the local hospital, and they med flight me up to a bigger hospital, and and that's when I learned that I had a spinal cord injury, that I'd broken my neck, and that I'd probably never walk. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15-year NFL and NBA business exec and best-selling author of The Power of Playing Offense. In my journey, I have discovered that there are two types of people in this world. The difference between elite performers and the rest of the pack, or what I like to call those that play offense versus those that play defense. Defense always on their heels, offense on our toes, defense playing not to lose, offense playing to win, defense the market dictates the terms, offense we operate on our terms, playing with purpose, playing with passion, and taking control of our future. So now the question is, how do you want to play? And here on the Playmakers Podcast, we play offense 10 out of 10 times. As we ramp up toward today's episode, pull out your notepad so you can capture all the action so we can make plays and level up together. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Joe Delagrave into the conversation. As we speak, Joe is headed to Tokyo to represent Team USA in the Paralympics, a journey that introduced him to wheelchair rugby with a backstory that will blow your mind, a backstory that you're about to hear from Joe himself. Hear how a casual boating accident that would have derailed most people's lives and shattered their dreams turn into a story of purpose, passion, courage, comeback, grit, resilience, and transformation. I hope you're as fired up for the conversation with Joe as I am. Trust me, this is one of those you're going to want to share with everyone you know. And as a reminder, many of the key takeaways on today's show can be found in the show notes on playmakerspod.com. With that, let's welcome Joe Delagrave into the Playmakers Podcast. Joe, welcome to Playmakers. How we doing? Man, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. Doing well. I'm excited to be here and in, in, in the Playmaker community. Of course. And we're fired up to have you. And word on the street, a birdie flew by, told me. And regardless when folks are listening into this, you're about to get on a pretty significant flight in less than 30 days. Talk to us about where you're going, brother. Heading to Tokyo. Uh, for the Paralympic Games, I play wheelchair rugby for the national team. And then uh, 43 days from this recording, I'm not counting. Yes, I am. I'm 100%. <laughs> uh, the countdown's happening. So we are playing in our first game. So, yeah, we leave in, in, in a little over 30 days. And, man, it is it's exciting. So cool. That's so cool. All right. So, look, hey, I'm just going to take an assumption here. As much as I love me some playmaker community, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, 
Not a whole lot of us have some, whether Olympian or Paralympian uh, experience. And so I want you to bring us into your world. And we're going to get into the backstory. I certainly want to double click on the games from the origin story. But for now, just in the moment where you're at, you're literally about to represent your country, USA. You are going to be competing at the highest level in your sport. What does that feel like? I, you are hyping me up. I want to climb through this computer and like rah-rah. It's awesome. It, it, it is such a privilege to put on the red, white, and blue. And I know it mean, our country means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Um, but our country is definitely one where you can get opportunities um, and one where um, there's freedom for how you think, feel, act. And I think that's really important as well to be able to have the freedom to express yourself and the freedom to express your faith or express those opportunities that you want to champion. And so for me, putting on the red, white and blue, I'm representing everyone that lives in this in this great country and hopefully inspire people to go out and inspire themselves, go out and, and crush their goals and their dreams and their desires. So when I put on that jersey, that's what I, I love to think about and represent. Yes, I love where you're bringing this because immediately it goes into purpose. It goes into why you do what you do. You've touched on it. And I know that a big part of your purpose from our prior conversations comes from maybe a past games. And we're going to get there. But I just want to gain a perspective here. So you've talked about focusing on basically the debate is, is it a journey conversation or is it a destination or an outcome? And I know you have a pretty strong feeling about that. So if I was to say, just me kind of outside looking in here, you're going to head off to Tokyo, compete at the highest level in the world, Paralympics, rugby, let's go, right? And most folks would say the end game, the end goal is a gold medal. And while I'm sure that is something that you would like to acquire and earn, you think about it a little bit differently. So talk to us about your perspective. Man, I've got a great spot on my wall for that gold medal. Absolutely. Um, and and I want to win anything. Like I, my wife won't even play like Scrabble with me anymore because I'm so competitive. <laughs> it's just, You're just making up words. Yeah, exactly, I got it. Exactly. She's like, that's not the dictionary. I'm like, check it. I just checked it for, uh, right before this game now. So like. I want to win, but I think for me, it's a journey. There's a great prophet. I don't know his name, but he said, life is like a roller coaster, baby, baby. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Life's a roller coaster and there's ups and there's downs and there's in between and there's dry seasons where he seems like nothing's happening, but then there's gets really high highs and really low lows. And when you get to that final destination and, and whether, or not, whether that's a gold medal or whether that's a promotion or whether that's a new book or whether that like whatever it is for you, um, you get there and if you haven't appreciated the journey and if you haven't learned the lessons along the way through that, you get that final piece and it kind of starts, it kind of feels empty to be honest. Um, if there's no purpose, uh, tied to it. And so for me, like it's, it's not just about the gold medal. These last 13 years of the national team have taught me in abundance and mostly have taught me a lot about how to respond to failure. Um, those low, low moments, because those high moments are fun. Like it, everyone loves to win. Everyone loves to be on top of the mountain. But it's like, what do we learn on the way up there? Uh, what do we learn on the way up there where we kind of fell down a little bit, took a couple steps backwards? And so um, absolutely, when we go there and, and we go to Tokyo and we do our business and we win that gold medal, 
that gold medal is going to represent a lot of different failures. It's going to represent a lot of different pivots. Um, and, and I think the perspective is that it's not just one in, uh, you know, one game in Tokyo. It's one in 13 years of preparation. It's one in my wife sacrificing, my kids sacrificing, my teammates, my coaches. Like, there's so much more that goes into it. Um, and that's just maybe a little trinket to show people, but the truth of it is, is there's a lot of different purpose involved in there, a lot of different paths involved in there to get to that final destination. No doubt. So you talk about high points, and of course we all love those high <laughs> points, but they don't need to define us. And we're going to come back to identity a little bit later because you and I vibe very deeply on that topic. Sometimes we tie our identity to that success, if you will, being at the top of the mountain, if you will, getting that gold medal. But you also talked about low moments. I think if I ask you this, it, it might take us back to some of those lower points. So talk to us about the origin of when you got involved with the games and maybe some of those low moments in the journey that lead up until today. Yeah, there's there's a few that come to mind. First of all, is kind of the genesis of this Paralympic path for me. It's uh, I'm 19 years old playing college football at a Division II school. And for me, that was like the dream. Um, you know, getting some scholarship money and being able to play a sport in college, it was amazing. It was great. And and I know, Paul, you speak to, to a lot of college athletes and share in that space. And and uh, it's such a beautiful time when you're 19, 20 years old. It's almost like a romantic time, right? There's so it's many, pure, right? It's, Isn't it so pure? It's so pure. And all these different athletes, whether they're you know, student athletes or, or uh, whatever they're at life in college, and, and, and you got this this fork in the road, but it's not like a fork. There's this thing has like a million different paths you can go down. So I think it's just, it's such a romantic time because you get to dream about, you know, who am I going to be with and, and am I going to have kids and what kind of wife am I or like, you know, or, or, or job or major, you know, for me, I changed my major like five times. Like it's, it's, there's so many, so much different opportunity and so much different things to grab at. And, uh, for me, I'm 19. I'm in between my freshman and sophomore year of college and I was back in my hometown of Prairie Sheen, Wisconsin, which is a river town bordering Iowa on the Mississippi River. And town of about 5,000 people. So small town, Wisconsin, in the Midwest there. And my buddies Kyle and Adam and I are driving on the boat on the Mississippi River on a weekend. We always went out on the river and knee-bordered and uh, fished and, you know, chased after uh, hot chicks on different boats. Just kidding, honey. Uh, we're chasing after you guys. Uh, so, but like we, you know, and, and that's, that, that's a river town, Midwest Wisconsin, you go on the river and you do that thing. And so July 10th, 2004, me, Kyle and Adam were on the boat. Kyle's driving, Adam's on the kneeboard and I'm just sitting on the boat. It's a little bass fishing chair, uh, with the pole attached to it on the boat and laying there with my hands behind my head, slouched my six foot six, 260 pound frame, just kind of resting there just enjoying the day at 75 degrees, partly cloudy, going down the river, uh, headed south in a back slough where the water's a little bit calmer than the main channel. Uh, Kyle accidentally hits the bottom of the river. I fly backwards in this uh, boat chair. It, the pole snaps, fly backwards, hit my head on the front of the boat, inside the boat, and crack my head open and break my neck at the C6 and 7 level. And in, 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 a, in a split second, I go from this big, rough, tough football player that's at six foot six, 260 pounds to 
waking up from a blackout and Kyle and Adam are teary eyed over top of me asking me these questions about Joe, can you move your legs? And my, my, my leg didn't move. Joe, can you feel your legs? Can you touch them? And they felt like I was touching someone else's legs. It felt like an out of body experience to like, the, you know, the greatest proportion ever. And in that split second, life changed. You know, I go from, I go from the, the, the boat to the rescue boat, to the ambulance, to the local hospital, and they med flight me up to a bigger hospital. And, and that's when I learned that I had a spinal cord injury that I'd broken my neck and that I'd probably never walk again. So what in that moment where I, I mean, we so appreciate you sharing, especially to that level of detail. And I know, you know, you share this story from a place of inspiration and light, obviously, but I also know that having faced adversity and I would never compare apples to apples. That's not my place a hundred percent, but I, I also know that even when we could tell a happy ending to a prior adversity, it didn't always start happy. You know, like there's that initial reaction. There's the first 30 days, first 90 days, first year, and maybe 10 years from now, we're reflecting back and saying, oh, I wouldn't be where I am without it. There's some s silver lining in thought. But in those initial moments, like how do you process it all? Just such a massive, just bigger than a gut punch, but like, what was that initial period, initial chapter like after the accident? Yeah. Yeah. It, the initial period was just pure emotional frustration. I mean, any were mad, sad, angry, depressed, like the whole thing. Um, but then also some of the athletic mentality and, and the way God wired me is to like push through this thing. So first of all, I was like, I'm the big rough stuff football player. I'm strong and, you know, I can get through this. But, you know, like it's like men like yeah. to do. Like we're stupid when it totally. comes down to it sometimes. Like <laughs> we just do things. We're like, we can get through this. We're, you know, we're rough tough. And then you sit there wounded with tail between your legs. But um, so there's part of that. And then the biggest component for especially in that initial period were the people around me. Like I think it's really important to have a circle around you that are going to it's going to you're going to get lifted up when you need to pull back when you need to like the human guardrail deal where where there's people in your life that are speaking into it in a positive way and then also like in, in a positive way but maybe you know something called tough love pulling you back when you need it and say hey this isn't where you're at here um so for me in that hospital room i was in the hospital for three months and um in that hospital room every day whether it was um my my girlfriend at the time april who's my wife uh, in the room. She was there every single day. Parents, um, her parents, grandparents, uh, coaches from high school, classmates from high school, coaches and, and, and teammates from, from college, um, friends from college. Like there's so many people in my life in those moments that kept me afloat in a really depressing, mad, angry time where, hey, this thing is awful. And I think that's, it's important for people to hear this because you, you you know, any listener probably doesn't have a story similar to mine. Maybe someone does, but most of the time our stories are, you know, it might be the same ocean, but different boat type of thing. And we, we need to pause before we pivot. When, when something, when, when life throws you that curveball and you swing and miss and it's just like, man, this thing is just awful right now. Whatever that looks like, disease, depression, uh, you know, divorce, like whatever disability, like whatever it is, 
is pausing and being able to just allow yourself to kind of navigate the emotions. Because a lot of times we're like, hey, let's pivot. And then we actually never, we never deal with what's actually going on inside of us or around us. And we pivot and, and we, we never solve the problem. We just pivot to something else. And so that pause period is really important for me. It was the people in my life that kept me afloat during that pause period. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And I think especially in the current times, here we are, give or take calendar year removed from what adversity faced almost everybody in the world, which was a global pandemic. And that meant different things to different people. And of course, our hearts go out to anybody that was medically impacted. But on a mental level, on maybe a job level, on so many levels, we faced adversity and there was a lockdown for many folks. And like, when you think about adversity, I love what you said because pivot was one of those buzzwords of the pandemic. But in your case, you said pause before you pivot. And so maybe to bring this back for all playmakers, it's very difficult to pause when you're in the middle of a race or a sprint, which is a metaphor for life. In the pandemic's case, it was almost a forced timeout. Like whether you wanted a timeout or not, the referee came in, put the two hands up in the air and said, timeout. And a lot of folks, the silver lining of the pandemic, I'm sure you'd agree, is, um, you know, the, the timeout gave us perspective. It probably, if you used it to your advantage, it heightened your level of self-awareness. Why do I do what I do? What's my core identity? All these things that I know you and I, we've riffed on in the past. And so now I just want to ask you, so from this massive, massive life altering piece of adversity, a lot of people give up. A lot of people walk away from their dreams. In your case, your athletic days could have been done, but they weren't. So what was the journey like from that point forward, having these amazing people to lift you up and get you through that muddy water, those early chapters, and then you become a Paralympian. Talk to us about the Paralympic path, kind of what got you involved? What was that inner motivation to keep you going? Yeah, so, you know, get out of the hospital and you're trying to figure your life out again. And and for me, I had the, you know, the dream come true of moving back in with mom and dad at 19 years old. Like, obviously not uh, my plan at all. Probably not their plan. <laughs> not a either. part of the script. Not a part yeah. of their script or my script or anyone's script. So I'm back in, and, and, and trying to just figure out that identity piece of like, who am I without sports and what am I going to do? And am I going to go back to college or what? Like just trying to find myself as a man with a disability now. Like I, I just hate it. I, to be honest, like I, I didn't like looking in the mirror and seeing the wheelchair and seeing the disability. And, um, so for that first year back, I, I just ate a lot. I ate a lot of my feelings. Um, and, and was, you know, plugged in the community a little bit and having people help me get out and about and not just stay stuck in a room or whatever like that. But, um, I thought athletics were done. Uh, some people had asked me about, you know, maybe there's some adaptive sports or Paralympics or whatever. And, and I'm like, I, I don't want to hug. I don't want like, this isn't going to, this isn't going to quench my competitive fire. And so I didn't even think about it. And about a year and a half after my accident, my buddy Kyle, who's driving the boat that day, has like a heart to heart talk with me about, uh, and in, in really nice ways, he's like, dude, you're getting fat. Like you're, you're, uh, you're blowing up here, buddy. And I'm like, Kyle, like maybe, maybe I've gained a little, maybe I gained like 20 pounds. I left the hospital at 220 pounds after I lost a lot of weight with, you know, muscle and all that stuff. But he's like, let's get you weighed. And, and I go, uh, whatever, Kyle, let's do it. Yeah. But, all right. We'll go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital. They didn't have a wheelchair scale. We just roll on. 
weigh yourself, roll off, put the chair on, see how much that weighs, and do a little simple divi- uh, um, subtraction, and, and there so you go. Subtraction, yeah. Right, but instead they had the hospital bed where you zero out the hospital bed, and then you lay on it, and it tells you your weight. So that's what we did. We got on it. Um, it was zeroed out before we got on it, got on it, and the bed said 285 pounds. And I told the nurse, I was like, hey, I think your bed's broken. We should probably try a different one. Like, this one's not Holy working. Holy smokes. And, you know, one of those. So from 220 to 285, did I catch that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep, uh, 100%. And in the span of about 18 months. And so, like, I, I, I just ate like a football player still, and I probably ate a lot of my feelings, that whole thing. And I was like, hey, this bed's broken. And they, they're like, well, I don't think so. And they're really nice about it. So they're like, we'll try it again. And so we tried it again. And it said the same thing. And I'm like, I get your point, Kyle. And like through some tough love, through people staying in my corner and saying, hey, maybe you should um, you know, lose some weight. I think it's just so important to have those people in your life. You're not going to listen to that from someone that's barking at you on Twitter, right? Like you're going to listen to the people that are close to you, people that you trust, people that you love, that have been in your corner um, and you know you can trust with their honesty. And so that yeah, for me, that it's was, coming yeah. from the right place, exactly, right? Exactly. Like that's the that's the differentiator. Yes, exactly. So that's where the genesis of like looking at adaptive sports. I ended up googling it online. What are the different sports I can play with my level of disability? And ended up by chance finding this clip called Murderball. I clicked on it because I was like, who doesn't want to click on a clip called Murderball? Yeah, clickbait for sure. <laughs> totally. And saw these saw these people smashing into each other and i'm like this is the greatest thing ever in such an oxymoron where crippled people are smashing into other crippled people trying to make each other more crippled like it's the complete oxymoron right and uh and that's what like wow like this is completely 180 my thinking on what a man with a disability is i want to go out to this practice ended up finding a spot in the in the twin cities in, in minneapolis minnesota at a place called Courage Center where they have a lot of adaptive sports in this small little gym, rehab gym, ended up um, competing in my first practice in 2006, spring of 2006. And that practice, none of those guys were good at the sport. Like they, they tell you that to this day, they're, they're, and obviously I wasn't good, but getting in that chair and having them invite me into their community ended up being life-changing for me. And that was the start to my parallel career. Wow. And then, so how do you go from that point? That's so inspiring. And I hope everybody, I know everybody's hanging on the edge of their seat right now. So connect this to, uh, when, when were your first Olympic Games or Paralympic Games? Yeah, 2012. So it's spring of 2006. And then the next six years, obviously leading up to that. 2008 is when I made that goal of 2012 um, while I was eating Cheetos, watching the gold medal uh, game and Beijing, where the the boys won uh, gold in Beijing over China, and I was like, I this is this is a goal. I in the, in the next the last couple of years between two thousand six two thousand eight, I was you know playing and, and and thought I was oh I'm pretty good at the sport, and then I realized yeah you're back in it yeah right, I, I realized it's, it's a Paralympic sport. I realized there's avenues to play in the national team, and like made it a goal. Um, and I think that's really important. A lot of people miss this first step towards goal setting is saying it out loud, like turn your daydream or turn your, 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 your vision or your dream inside your head into reality by saying it out loud and telling someone about it. Because once you say it out loud, it becomes real. Once you tell someone about it, especially in your inner circle, instant accountability, 
instant. It's there now. It's out in the open. I think a lot of us can go like, oh, I wish that I had, you know, a lake house and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Like, how are you going to get there? Like, what do the finances look like? What it like, you know, and, and, and until you actually say it and then say it to someone, it's not really a goal. It's just kind of a dream in your head. So let me ask you this, and then we're going to get back into your story and your journey because this is just too good. So in your case, and I think this is great perspective and advice and a, a tip for every playmaker listening in, turn your dreams into goals and goals that are concrete and actionable. It's not only saying it, but then sharing it with somebody. I'll even add a layer and say, write it down. Keep it visible every day. Like the more you can just keep it top of mind, it just becomes that much closer to reality. So in your case, my first small question is, who did you tell? And then continue with the story on how this eventually led to the first games. Yeah, so I told told, uh, April, who's my wife, I told her, and then I told my close friends um, in my inner circle, Kyle, Adam, and Brandon uh, were in my inner circle at that point and, and told these guys, I'm like, this is what I want to do. Uh, and it really helped me pivot from, man, I really want to walk again. And I really want to, you know, like, uh, and life's not going to start until I can be able to get out of this wheelchair. And that goal helped me realize, like, there's avenues for success in a wheelchair. There's avenues in, uh, for success with a disability and I don't have to, uh, you know, pray or beg for a miracle or whatever it is uh, to walk again in order to realize that there's opportunities within this obstacle right here. Um, and so the wheelchair ended up becoming a path towards success. And so like a lot of times we, we were kind of looking on the outside for our opportunity on the outside for our miracle, our our one little chance in life. And like, it's there, it's in you, you have it. Uh, It's there already. A lot of times it's there already. Like we're made uniquely, uh, I believe. And a lot of our personalities are made to do a purpose in life. And we like, we have a purpose in life. And I think, you know, finding that intersection is super important. But for me, that was, that was a big passion intersection. I could be an athlete again. I could play a sport again. I can set up all these goals. And that's what I did. And, and, and the goal, like from 2006, 2012, you know, it ended up being, um, you know, the goal setting, but then it was just work. Like you got to work at it. You got to, I mean, Paul, you know, like you like gotta, the sweat equity, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. So a lot of it was there and, and just chasing after it. And then, um, and we'll, we'll talk about the failure piece in a little bit, but like what happens when, you trip over your shoelaces and fall down and break your nose type of thing. Like everyone does it. Everyone fails. Every single person falls down. I mean, if, if, if you haven't, then kudos to you and let me know how you're doing it or what you're doing. But like, I think for the most of us, like everyone has moments in life where they're like, this isn't worth it or is it worth it? Or man, I really messed up here. What, what next or whatever it is. So, As we take a short break from today's interview, I'd like to share a quick reminder to check out the episode show notes on playmakerspod.com, where you will find a treasure trove of key insights, thought starters, and additional resources from today's conversation. Also, a quick shout out to our show sponsor, Audible, who is offering each and every playmaker a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com. With that, let's get back to the conversation. It's time to level up. Let me ask you this, Joe. Before we go on with the future games, 
the wheelchair in this case could have been the obstacle. Instead, it turned into the opportunity. From obstacle to opportunity. You've also talked about, we all have a choice. I've heard you share your story with other folks in the past, and you've said the word victim, not about yourself, but about that was a choice. If somebody out there has the same accident, perhaps they adopt what we call the victim mentality. So talk to us about the power of choice, how you harnessed it kind of through this chapter that you've been talking to us about and why you didn't just become another victim. Thank you. Yeah, that I, I love what you're saying here. And, and like you've mentioned, this is something that I, it's, I've, I love and passionate about because like empowering people to realize you've got a choice is so important. Like for my journey, it's been super important to realize I had a choice in what happens next. When I'm on the boat, I'm like, I'm not driving. Like I'm just chilling and enjoying the day. I'm not like whatever. And, 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 and I can point the finger at Kyle and be like, dude, you totally ruined my life. And, uh, what you did was, you know, blah, 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 and, and blame him. But when you start to place blame on something or you start to become uh, that and, and ingrained in that victim mentality, you become completely immobile. You're rigid. You can't move because you're blaming someone else. There's no there's no room for you to go anywhere. And so you're stuck in a lot of a lot of victim mentality. People feel stuck a lot because they're placing the blame on someone else. They're placing the blame on something outside of their control. They're going to be like, well, I'm paralyzed. My life sucks now and life's over and, and everyone else has it way better than I do. And like just E or the whole thing uh, uh, until the cops. Or you can realize that there's a choice in how you react to your circumstances, how you react to your op- uh, obstacle, how you react to where you just fell over and there's a what next pause there and you choose victory and choosing to say, mm, yep, okay, I've got these obstacles and circumstances, but those aren't going to define me. My, my reaction, my, my action in the reaction is going to, re, going to define me and I can choose that. And all of a sudden you got mobility again. All of a sudden, you know, for me, literally I was paralyzed and, and a lot of people figuratively uh, or metaphorically are paralyzed by their victim mentality and by their blame game. And then when they choose to realize they've got personal responsibility here to control what happens next, oh man, there's, there's mobility there. All of a sudden my wheels are moving. All of a sudden they're picking their feet back up and starting to walk that way and, and, and beautiful things start to happen. Wow. That's, that's so powerful. And I love how you talked about even the use of the word mobility, like, taking the immobile and making it mobile again. And that's a metaphor. In your case, it was a physical piece that manifested itself into something much bigger, much grander, much more inspirational. But I think the metaphor lands for every playmaker listening out there is there are many pieces of our life. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a toxic relationship that immobilizes us. Maybe it is a toxic job, uh, you know, and we've had a negative relationship with it, but we're not going to leave it because, oh, I've got 10 years baked in. So you're, there's a sunk cost mentality, right? Like those, those are just a few examples, but how can you free yourself so that you can be mobile again? I, I think that's a, a beautiful place for all playmakers to drill in on. 
All right, brother. So talk to us. So now you may, you got to the first games. Um, and so give us the locations again. Obviously, I know you're headed to Tokyo. Where, where were those games? Because I know there's a big piece coming up about like going from captaincy into a different piece of adversity. So let's share that story, but share the location so we can all take ourselves back there. Yeah. So so the first games that I experienced was one in 2012. Uh, incredible games, incredible time, opening ceremony, 80,000 people in the stadium, the Queen of England, like the whole thing was just amazing. Our our first game was against Great Britain. Sold out crowd, the same arena that LeBron and and and, and, Co- and all those guys won their gold medal in that same basketball arena and we played the wheelchair rugby. Um so just an by, by the way, sorry experience. sorry to cut you off here, just quick question cuz I'm just so such a fan of this. Was that the craziest environment like it one game, dude, one game, like craziest environment you've ever been in? Was that it? That was um that was, that was top five for sure in the, Paralymp- in the, right, in the Paralympics right. number one for sure. Um, there was there was a game over in Sydney, Australia, where the crowd was super rowdy and it was outside and uh, beer was flowing with the fan. Like that was pretty awesome. I, I was gonna say I, I blame yeah. the beer, but yeah, yeah, that's that, that's it, that's it. They know how to they know how to do it. All right, continue, sure, my man. Sure. No, so uh, so that game was amazing uh, in the stand. My wife was there. Our six month old son was there. Um, so like just. To like think back to the imagery, just an amazing experience. Uh, I became a captain in 2013. Leadership, something that's very important to me. Um, and 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 then heading to the next deal. And and, and real quick, the story. I think just to give it a, a good through line here. In London, in London, we ended up losing in the semifinal to Canada. Uh, Canada USA rivalry in any sport is is huge. Uh, rugby's no different. We lose by one in that game to go to the gold medal game. So I ended up getting a bronze medal, beat Japan in the, in the next day for the bronze medal match. So get the bronze medal. And before this, previously, USAWR had been ranked number one from 2005 to 2012. Seven straight years. They had won in Beijing in 08, World Championships in 2010, 2012, uh, 06 uh, World Championships as well. So like 06, 08, 2010, champions and everything. Uh, maybe lost two matches total. 2012, you know, we are the dream team coming in. We're going to win the whole thing. I'm a rookie on this on this Paralympic team that just has all these Hall of Fame players and end up losing. And so my mentality as a new leader, I was thinking, well, in Rio, we need to win gold. Rio 2016, that's the focus. That's where we need to put our focus. Let's tunnel vision on winning gold. Everything else will be validated because of this medal we get. Um, so going into this quad, I was like, man, I need to be a leader that um, win mentality, win at any cost, win no matter what. And like I wasn't a bad leader in 2013, 14 and 15, but I don't think I was all I, I don't think I was a servant leader like I like to be and like I've came to grow to be um, with good mentors around me and good people around me to build me up as a leader. Um, but that time I had such tunnel vision that my identity became that gold medal. Like I was nothing without it and everything with it. Um, and, and I'm like, I, just flat honest, like I thought that would be validating towards my role as a husband. That would be validating towards my role as a father. That would be validating toward my role as a leader, towards my role as a community member or at church or what, like wherever I was. I needed that gold medal to be able to validate myself as an expert in whatever it was I wanted to do. 
Um, and I think a lot of times it's relatable to what we do with our jobs or what we do with our relationships. And um, we, we let one thing in our life define us everywhere else with the different hats that we wear. And I think for me, um, that's what was happening in 2016. I ended up getting cut a month before they went to Rio and it was, it was like I was on the boat again. It, it, so like, from captain to cut from captain to cut. So I was, uh, lost my cat and, and there, there, like there's some backstory stuff with, you know, and you know, whatever, but, and, 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 but I say that to say that there's probably an easy road for me to go down in this situation to play that blame game to point the finger, to say, well, hey, this is completely not Joe Delegray's fault. This is this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. That, you know, you just go down the row. Or in that moment, even though I'm devastated, I'm cut. I used to be, it's like, this doesn't happen. And I felt so stupid. I felt like a fit, like all those feelings and thoughts that come into your head. I just was like, yep, those are right. That like, I'm a failure, I'm inadequate. Um, I, I'm not a good leader. I'm not a good rugby player, which makes me not be a good husband or father, like all the way down and really fell into like this despair of this sucks. My identity's ripped away. What I thought was my plan gone and I'm left to pick up the pieces. And that another big, huge pause piece where people around me were speaking into my life and helping me get back up. Um, in this moment, I, I, I was working as a uh, professional counselor in private practice at this time. I got my master's degree in, in professional counseling and uh, working with a guy by the name of Dr. Michael. Uh, he was part owner of this pr uh, private practice. He had worked for the Diamondbacks for many years in Arizona when we were living out there. And, and so he knew sports and, and, and I was sulking one day and I'm like, this is such BS and this is like awful. And he kind of like proverbially smacks me in the face and he's like, so if you don't have that gold medal or you don't get to go, like, who are you? You know, and he really just kind of broke it down in some elementary basic ideals to make me realize I was just being the biggest baby in the world. I was pouting, sulking and not taking responsibility so I could have mobility moving forward um, with my situation. Do you remember, I, I, tough question, because I'm asking for a detail so many years ago, but do you remember how you answered that question when he asked, when Dr. Michael asked, who are you? I, I answered it sarcastically. So, um, and, and faith something that's really, really important to me. And he's basically just talking about my identity. For me, my identity in my faith is bigger than my identity in my gold medal. And so he's like, well, which one's more important? And I'm like, whatever, dude, like I, I know. And, and well, what about this? What does this say about you? Uh, yeah, yeah, man, I, I know, I know. Like I wanted to just punch him in the face. I was like, what you're saying is so true, but like I, at that point, you don't want to hear it. <laughs> I'm not ready for yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like we all have people, Doctor. we have people in our, in our iPhones uh, address book. Like when you want to vent and you just want someone to agree with you, you call that person. Like when you need like yeah. some wise counsel, you probably call someone else. <laughs> But like at this point, I'm just like, I just need someone to disagree with me being a baby. about it. And but him doing that and him smacking me upside the head and making me realize I'm more than a rugby player. I'm more than what a medal says about me really started this process uh, from 2016 to present 
where I've realized my purpose isn't tied to the sport. My purpose isn't tied to whether or not the scoreboard says I'm a winner or a loser. My purpose is so much more than that. And it really gave me the confidence to start sharing my story in hopes that other people's stories are, are, are going to make choices in a similar way. Um, so basically taking the motivational, inspirational message that people are like, oh, that's great to hear. I kind of call it cheap inspiration I'm like, or maybe like inspirational porn. It's just a sugar high, right? Yeah. Like it's just like, well, uh, Joe Delagrave in the wheelchair, man, uh, inspiration because like I, I couldn't see myself doing that. And like they make it about me. But really, it's like if I'm doing a good job of speaking to someone, I'm using inspiration to inspire them. So like they look in the mirror and they're like, wait a second, I've got personal responsibility. Wait a second, I'm I'm immobile right now because of the choices I'm making. It's it's it personalizes them and going like, you know, you might not have the wheelchair, but there's a wheelchair in your life that you're struggling to get through. There's an op, there's an obstacle in your life that you're just blaming for the choices you're making after the fact. And I think that's kind of where um, in that moment, in that in that valley, in that deep, deep despair of life. Um, I realized what my purpose was and I realized that, man, I want to go and win in Tokyo and I want to be a good leader and I've, and I've done a good job of that the last five years, but it doesn't define who I am. Yeah. No, it's so good, Joe, because what's fascinating is, and you, you didn't know this about me before this conversation, but I'm happy to share it. And I've said it probably in with playmakers in the past. So my purpose is to inspire purpose in others so they can play offense in life. And so when you told me that your purpose is to inspire others, I'll share this with everybody because I did not know this before I was told this. The definition of inspire, not the English definition. I particularly love the Latin definition, which is to breathe life into. So when you ask what inspires you, the question is what breathes life oh, into man, you? That's good. So in Joe, in your case, you're breathing life into people. That's your purpose. It's not the gold medal. It's not all these things. Those are amazing accomplishments and trophies and goals. But I, I, I think this is so fascinating. So what advice would you have for other folks listening in that are inspired by your words? You literally just breathe life into them. And maybe they haven't connected to their inner purpose. Is there a process? Are there some questions? Are there some bite-sized pieces without saying, hey, go out and find your North Star tomorrow? I think that's a big ask. And I, I trust me, I coach it. And it's way more complicated than just answering a question. But are there some small things that people can do to get closer to connecting with their purpose? Yeah, I, one that comes to mind right now, and this is probably a big bite. Um, again, like then, 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 you know, going out and finding your star and, and that whole thing. But I think one question that I love to ask people, and I think it's, it's, it's something that people really need to contemplate. Um, are you more worried about what other people think of you? Or are you more worried about actually living out your purpose? Cause I think a lot of people know what their purpose is. A lot of people understand who they are and what they want to do, but they're too darn scared to take the steps towards it. And it's, and, and I said this on another part, like it's steps there. It's just a step, like a step, like 
like you know, like whatever. If you 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 have your clients and coaching, it's just one step to get a coach, and it's one step to get a plan, and it's one like. And a lot of people think they're going to walk out the door and fall off a cliff and dot. Like it's not a you're not you're not jumping out of an airplane. Like this isn't uh, without a parachute. This isn't like a, a, a you know a suicide mission. This is just taking a step towards it and building momentum towards it. And all of a sudden, like that snowball gets to be really fun, heading in the right direction. Where a lot of times we're just like, well, what are other people going to think? And I'm gonna I'm gonna fail. And I'm going to lose and it's not going to go well and I'm going to lose money and I'm going to lose sleep and I'm going to lose mental capacity. And like, and they snowball the other way into just complete fear of failure and complete um, fear of what other people are going to think. Yeah, it, man, it's so spot on. I have a core thought in my book too about the day that I stopped looking to my left and my right is the day that my life changed. Like my personal transformation happened when I literally didn't give a shit what anybody else thought. I started living on my own terms. That's it, dude. It sounds, and it sounds so like bumper stickery. And I'm like, it is, if you think it's a bumper sticker, then absolutely it is. And it has no substance if you think it's a bumper sticker, but if you genuinely don't have the FOMO on Instagram. Like if you genuinely are like, look, dude, what do I want? Not selfishly. What I have found Joe and for all playmakers listening out there is like the more that you focus on living on your terms, the more you show up with greater service and contribution and there's impact. So it's interesting how what sounds selfish on the surface is actually the most selfless thing that we can do. It's, yeah, 100%. And I think like that's why I've, you know, you use the word vibe and I love that. Like that's why I'm vibing with you because I, I think for just an outside perspective, you, you had a job where you could, it's a it's a flashy title. It's a flashy, I, you know, I work with NFL and NBA, like, and you could just live on that. And then you found, like you realize within yourself, you're like, that's not my, this isn't, this isn't my purpose. And, and I think a lot of people are scared to take that step and want to sit, take that step and need to take that step because it's such a beautiful thing when you can wake up and realize, yeah, I'm living out my purpose. I might not be where I want to be, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm waking up every day knowing I'm living my purpose out and I'm moving towards uh, bigger and better goals. 100%. So if I could share one final thought and then one last question, and then we're going to get out of here. But bring in everything you just said, and this is in service to all playmakers listening in, going back to how you set goals. You said, take your dreams and speak them out so that they can become goals. And then for accountability purposes, share it. In your case, you shared your Olympic dreams with your inner circle. It happened to be your wife, your friends. And in my case, I added on a piece of writing it down, but basically taking a goal and making it more concrete versus leaving it as a vision or a dream. So if that's the case, and then folks listening and say, I want to find my purpose, you then brought us a few minutes ago to say one step at a time. Maybe the first step is writing down a goal. Maybe the first step is hiring a coach. Maybe the first step is talking to your significant other and just sharing some feelings and thoughts and seeing what comes out of it, but just take the first step. And then after that step, take another step. After that step, tape another. So there's so much wisdom in what you said, and I think it can apply to everybody listening in. So here's going to be the grand finale, Joe. Let's assume that 
everything that is meaningful and that matters to you in your life is taken care of. Family, I know you are so proud. I've heard you say in the past, your number one title is husband and father, right? Like, so that is the most important thing in your life. And like, you have never been, you've never apologized for it. That's who you've become. And so family is taken care of. Your finances, your kicking butt, dude, life is set. You literally don't have worry, stress, anxiety. And you get to dedicate the rest of your life to one thing, what would you dedicate the rest of your life working toward? Exactly what I'm doing right now. Exactly what I'm doing. Like, take the rugby away and because, and, you know, it can't be athletes forever, unfortunately. Maybe I'll be, like, really dominant on the shuffleboard circuit when I'm a senior citizen. That's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pickleball. Love it. Yeah. Uh, but but l- speaking uh, and sharing my message in hopes that it's going to inspire people to share theirs and hopes that it's going to inspire people to live out their purpose um, is what I want to do and what I want to continue to do. Um, so that's it right there. And I think tied to that is not chase the carrot of success, success, right? And, and I want to be successful like everyone else, whether that looks like financial, uh, financial success or, or just home success, relationship success, marriage success, the whole thing. But I want there to be significance. And I think every single person deep within themselves wants to be significant. And I think it's, and, and, and I don't know if you've, you've had this you know, happen, but if you speak or, or, or you share your book with someone or um, your pocket, whatever avenue that is in your business and, and, and someone reaches out and goes, you've changed my life. You've, you've, you've showed me a way forward. You've helped me get through this time. Like, come on. That's like, a, I mean, that's, there's nothing better in the world. It's the best nothing. energy drink or maybe a shot of adrenaline that you could ever get and realizing, yes, I'm doing what I'm purposed to do. And yes, let's keep moving forward. So significance over success is 100% the way forward to do that because yeah, man. Yeah, Joe. No, from success to significance to being called into doing something and living out your purpose, breathing life into people, Joe, that is your life calling. And that's what you've done today on Playmaker. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for being on the Playmakers podcast. We love you, brother. Best of luck in Tokyo. Go kick some butt. Not because it defines you. You're going to get that gold, but more importantly, you're going to inspire others to live true to their purpose. So thank you again, Joe. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Loved what you just heard? Share it with another Playmaker. And if you gain significant value from today's episode and genuinely feel that you have leveled up, would so appreciate if you gave us a five-star rating. For all of today's show notes, head over to playmakerspod.com where you can not only enjoy additional resources from this show, but all previous episodes as well. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in from. And on a personal note, I'd love to connect one-to-one. Hit me up anytime on LinkedIn at Paul Epstein or Instagram at Paul Epstein Speaks. Playmakers is produced by Detroit Podcast Studios in collaboration with Purpose Labs. Wishing you a high impact week of action and purpose. See you next time on Playmakers.